Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, everybody? It is Wednesday night, and it feels... Like home, doesn't it? This is the staple show, the staple time slot with our weekly show. We haven't been live since late um, Saturday night when the Bills proved 11 and three, clinched a playoff spot. We're going to talk about so much tonight. We have so much to get to, as you can see in our um, in our show notes, the headline. We're going to talk a lot about Josh Allen. I want to talk a little bit about fan reaction as well. Over the last couple of weeks, I got a DM that we're going to get into um, in a minute. We've got some breaking news here as we go live. Ryan will bring you that in a moment. And I also want to talk about this Stefan Diggs drama that has kind of popped up over the last couple of days. We'll see how far we get down the road. We have a guest tonight. Mike Golick Jr. will be on the program at 8.30 tonight. So stay tuned for that. We have a jam-packed show. And as always, we are brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. And right now, you can enter for a chance to win $1 million. Each week, Kings Hawaiian is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long and earn entries toward the $1 million prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone to enter. What do you got for us, Ryan? Yeah, some breaking Pro Bowl news. I'm sure that's what the Bills fans are clamoring for. Uh, obviously, Pro Bowl is not going to necessarily be the Pro Bowl this year. It's going to be more like a skills challenge, but multiple Bills, Matt, named to the Pro Bowl. We have Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Mitch Morse, and Jordan Poyer, all named to the Pro Bowl roster. Uh, the first for Jordan Poyer and Mitch Morris, I think uh, long overdue for both of them, especially in the case of Poyer. And, and then a lot of alternates. First alternate, Deion Dawkins, Dawson Knox, Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds. Second alternate, Roger Saffold and Tyler Bass. Third alternates, Tyler Matakevich, Reed Ferguson, and Reggie Gilliam. Fourth alternates, Greg Rousseau and Ed Oliver. And a fifth alternate, Saran Neal. So, uh, Buffalo is getting a lot of recognition, a lot of love with these Pro Bowl rosters from the starters all the way down to the alternates. Yeah. And, you know, obviously Allen and Diggs, I mean, they should be uh, ever present uh, on this roster year in and year out. They're both having outstanding seasons. Stefan Diggs, one of the best receivers in the NFL, Josh Allen, an MVP campaign that's back on the tracks. We'll talk about that in a moment. And Mitch Morris, I mean, we've seen it. When he goes out of the lineup, I think Ryan Bates does a really good job of kind of riding the ship. The expectation is if he can't play this weekend, I'd expect Bates to kind of move in there. But without Morris, you know, he allows you to do so many other things everywhere else. So that's quite the honor uh, for Mitch Morris. And then Jordan Poyer is a guy that, 
I mean, what are we talking here, Ryan? Probably three of the last five or six years, Jordan Poyer should have been a pro bowler. And he's finally starting to get his due. And I think it took, you know, the national recognition of the Associated Press, getting him that all pro nod last year, first team to finally kind of get people to come around. I mean, when you think about this Bills defense, well, most people anyway, you can't say that about Justin Fields, who apparently when talking about the, the Bills defense this week called referred to him as Micah Poyer or Michael Poyer. I couldn't quite make that out. I think he was just misspeaking, but most people around the league, one of the first names that come up when you start talking about the Bills defense is Jordan Poyer. So quite an award, uh, an honor for him. Yeah. And like you said, long overdue recognition from the AP uh, maybe help spur this, bring it on something that I think he could have earned from 2017 on quite honestly. So uh, good for Jordan Poyer to get that recognition. We're going to get into Josh Allen in a moment, but I see some comments here asking what digs drama um, and I, and we're, let's start there, Ryan, because I think that's the best yeah. place to start. I think, you know, coming off of a sun, a Saturday's game, you know, you'd think everything would be rosy in, in Bill's mafia land, but not for everybody. And and we'll kind of take you through the timeline here. So during the broadcast, um, Stefan Diggs in the third quarter, I think it was after the second possession when they punted uh, on the broadcast, they kind of like. Uh, showed him frustrated on the field. He had a little exchange with Christian Wilkins. Looked like they were kind of joking around. Came off to the sideline. The broadcast camera got him coming over to the bench, slamming his helmet down. And then they went uh, to sideline reporter Laura Oakman, and they asked her what's going on down there. And she basically said, well, it's uh, it's weird. Let me read the – I don't want to misquote. Uh, She said, I know you guys already showed Stefan Diggs saying – Give me the ball. Apparently, he mouthed that uh, in in one of the clips on the broadcast. But I'm almost uncomfortable, she said. I mean, I made eye contact contact with him, and he mouthed to me six times, give me the ball, get me the ball, get me the ball. I do not know if he thinks I have a hotline to Ken Dorsey or not, but somebody needs to get him the ball. So anyway, fast forward the story to from Saturday to Monday, and our good friend Sal Capaccio over on the Extra Point Show on WGR 550 – he opens up his Monday morning reaction show and starts fielding calls. And lo and behold, the first couple are all about like Stefan Diggs and like, you know, talking about him uh, being unhappy and whether or not he's uh, upset with Josh Allen and this isn't good for the team. And this isn't what a leader looks like. I'm paraphrasing and I, I don't have every, I, like I'm not direct quoting the fans, but basically, you know, saying that this isn't what this team needs looking ahead to the, to the playoffs. And, you know, Sal pushed back a little bit and gave his stance, which I agree with. And he basically said, you know, uh, Stefan Diggs is a, is a, is a guy that he's super emotional. He wants to catch the ball. He wants to make plays for his team. And when it's not going well in the offense, you know, you're, te- you've tended to see this over the course of his career, including his bills tenure, whatever it ends up playing out a lot of social media banter. Well, today Sal asked Stefan Diggs about this whole thing. And, and Diggs kind of was like, when have you ever seen me say, get me the ball? He Sal explained this to him, and uh, this was his response. He said, I feel like the position I play is as a receiver, you want the ball. I'd be more worried if a receiver didn't want the ball in comparison to a guy that does want the ball. But I mean, I feel like I want to win. Anybody who knows me, they know I want to win and I want to play at a high level. I want us playing at a high level. I never looked at it as a thing that is selfish. I hope people don't think that. But like, if you gauge me as a player, if you know me personally, or you know me, or you see me, how I work and how I approach my job, you know I respect the game to its fullest. So what I mean by that is what I say and I feel like in those situations, I want to provide a spark for my team. I want us to stay in the green area and be making plays at a high level. 
We got a lot of guys that can do that. But when I say that, that's more so a piece of me trying to get it going and trying to stay in the right frame of mind and stay on schedule. So, and then this is in response to the whole dust up. He says, I got big shoulders. I could take it. So start us off, Ryan, like your thoughts on this kind of whole swirling thing, which seems to me a lot to do about nothing. Yeah. And, you know, to any of the fans that may have said this is not what the team needs. I think it's exactly what the team needs. You need someone that is going to step up when things are not going well, man, and say, give me the ball. I can kind of fix things. I can get the ball moving. I can move the chains. I can help this offense go. And listen, in the third quarter, it wasn't pretty for the Bills. It kind of uh, disappeared. They go into the half with a touchdown in the last second. They have a chance to double dip. That doesn't happen. Drive after drive is stalling out. Uh, Dolphins retake the lead, uh, or they take the lead at that point after the the running into the kicker, unnecessary roughness. Uh, the offense was just kind of spitting, spitting and sputtering. So I don't blame Stefan Diggs for wanting the ball. Besides Josh Allen, this is your main superstar on offense. He wants to help the offense get back on track, get points on the board, move the chains. Like he said, it would be a bigger concern if he was just kind of twiddling his thumbs on the sideline, happy as can be, smiling and laughing uh, when things are not going well because he's frustrated. He knows how good this team can be, and he knows they kind of hit this lull at a very important point in the game. Now, they're able to right the ship. They're able to uh, win that game, move to 11-3, and uh, clinch a playoff berth, and you know, pretty much almost sealed the deal on the AFC East. But I understand where he was coming from at that point in time. What do you think? So one of the my the biggest things for me listening to him talk about this today was I think that kind of gets misconstrued a little bit when he is so emotional. Like you got to think about it from this perspective. When the Bills offense doesn't work, right? What's the first person that people look at? Of course, Josh Allen. But mm-hmm. a 1B to that is Stefan Diggs. I mean, he is a high-priced commodity. He's a pri- high-priced weapon. And those kinds of players in this league, they – have to deal with the questions when things aren't working. So part of that, I think when there's, when there's lulls in the game, and that was the second punt that led to four straight punts, like you mentioned, he's feeling that and wearing that and trying to get the offense going in his own way. I mean, we've seen, I think uh, uh, some fans made this kind of comparison. Tom Brady's had this, these moments over the course of his career when he gets really upset and he comes and he throws the tablet. I mean, Josh has thrown, slammed his helmet before. I mean, it, it just happens. And what you're trying to do is spark the offense. And the difference between Diggs and Allen, like the two stars of the offense, Allen has so much control over how the offense responds when things aren't going well because he's calling the plays a lot of times along with Ken Dorsey, obviously, but he has the ability to change things, to send people and do different jobs. Diggs kind of has to sit on his hands and just wait till the game comes to him. So I think that's his way of saying and expressing to Ken Dorsey, Joe Brady, uh, Chad Hall, and Josh Allen, all right, things aren't going well. I'm him. That's a direct quote. So get me the ball because that's what's going to get us out of this funk. And, you know, for those people that have talked about maybe there being dissension with Allen and Diggs, I've never, I've maintained this over the course of the season when this has come come up. They're inseparable. Like when you watch them around the facility, they're always in each other's ears, always in each other's pockets. They went out last night. Uh, our good friend, uh, our our colleague, Mike Waters, put up a story about the uh, Diggs, Allen, and Gabe Davis out at the Syracuse game last night. And so they, they hang out off the field. So this is not, this, this seems like to, a lot to do about nothing. And I, I think it's it's healthy to have 
different players in the offense pushing the the buttons, if you will, when things aren't going well. Yeah, that, that's extremely well said. Uh, and with, you know, a first time offensive coordinator and, and when the team hits these spots in a game where things aren't working, he's just reacting the way you would want your superstar to react. And, and while, you know, Laura uh, Oakman did not have a direct line up to Ken Dorsey, I'm sure you could see him down on the sidelines and see that emotion. And hopefully going forward, you know, they, they try to throw in those little wrinkles, those plays to get the ball in his hands. Even if it's a quick pass, just let him try to get out in open space. Uh, it, it's just a good sign of leadership, and it's exactly what you want in your uh, star receiver, Matt. Yeah, PJ brings up a good point in the uh, in the comments that uh, oh, it's it's not a big deal. It didn't even uh, it didn't even come up. Well, you know, when when there is frustration, it, it is something that you know you see you see it on the broadcast. And there was fans that were having questions about his feelings on the matter like what's going on with the offense there's been frustrations at, at times at Ken Dorsey and if I'm just a fan sitting at home and I'm connecting the dots is Stefan Diggs frustrated with with Ken Dorsey is he frustrated with Josh Allen those are those are questions that are okay to ask but I think that like taking it to the level of getting that perspective and that's one of the things I I love when Stefan Diggs is up at the podium we didn't get a chance to talk to him for a few weeks and I think that probably allowed this to fester a little bit because it goes back to that uh, moment with Sean McDermott a couple weeks ago when he kind of grabbed him, grabbed him on the sideline and uh, kind of spoke to him a little bit. Listen, long story short, a lot to do about nothing. We can move right along. Yeah, and moving right along, I guess staying in the wide receiver room, we did get a super chat from our friend Domo. Uh, when can Jamison Crowder return and does Beasley look the same to you? You know, with Crowder, he can return at any point now. Uh, he was put on the IR Uh, There's that four week minimum that you have to spend on there. He's obviously eclipsed that point. It all comes down to when his ankle is healed to the point where the bills feel like he could practice and eventually contribute. It doesn't mean that he's going to get activated. It was a serious ankle injury, but um, you know, there, there really is no time frame in terms of a waiting period. He can return at any point right now. Beasley, you know, you and I can talk about this, Matt. It's a really small sample size, but I liked some of the routes that he was running in that game uh, against the Dolphins. I saw that really early in the game, it might have been one of his first or second snaps. He was he was open for what looked to be a 10, 20 yard gain, potentially. Uh, Allen just wasn't looking in his direction. So the ability to create the separation still there, the ability to uh, be a difference maker in the middle of this uh, offense is still there, in my opinion. What did you think of Beasley's first game? Yeah, I thought that Beasley looked a lot like we're used to him looking. And listen, there was times last year where, you know, there were games like this where maybe the snaps were down, the targets were down. And and that was when he had a full training camp in preseason. So I think it's going to ebb and flow. And I think Ken Dorsey talked about it this week, and I I think he was right on the money with it. It's going to be a matchup-driven decision on Beasley, whether or not or, or how involved in the offense he is. And it's going to be interesting how they use it, uh, how they use him down the stretch. So you have the Bears this weekend. Then you have critical games against the Bengals and really the Patriots, which could end up coming down to win and you get the number one seed, depending on how the next couple of weeks go. So you have two uh, activations or elevations, I should say, of Beasley left if you're Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. And you have to be a little bit judicious with that. And you got to figure out how you want to use them. Is there a game specifically that you know you want him for? Probably that Bengals game is going to be one of them. Uh, maybe the Patriots, 
wouldn't be shocked if maybe they kept him down on the practice squad this week, let him continue to acclimate and try to go on the road and and and, and win a tough weather uh, impacted game against the Bears. But to your point, I think he's looked a lot like the guy that we've been used to seeing and more so than what he can do physically or you know, where his speed level is at, his quickness, it's definitely not going to be the same that it was in 19 and 20. But all you hear from everybody that talks about Cole Beasley is just the the football IQ and what he can, what he, what it means to have him in terms of diagnosing the defense. I think he's going to help Josh as being another guy out there with eyes like a quarterback that sees the defense that way. And they have that innate communication factor from playing together three years that some of the things that you're going to see from Beasley his impact on this offense, I don't necessarily think it's going to come in receptions and yards. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Uh, when it comes to the decision on when to play him, I think we both agree the Bengals will be one of the two, uh, one of the next two games that he'll be on the field for. The Bears, you can make the argument that you you know you want to keep seeing what this offense looks like with him. Maybe you wouldn't need him in that finale against the Patriots. Uh, the Patriots are kind of in a downward spiral right now. They might not be playing all their starters. It might be an easier game for Buffalo, but then you factor in the weather for this weekend's game. Obviously, uh, the blizzard is supposed to hit Chicago on Friday, uh, but it, it's supposed to feel like it's a negative 11 there at kickoff in Chicago. There could be some wind gusts. It might cause the Bills to have to lean on the run game more. So it really comes down to, where are they going to be able to utilize him most? Obviously, again, the Bengals game is one of those games, and the team can kind of decide between the Patriots and the Bears uh, as to what would be the next best scenario. A couple of other things that I want to get to here before we bring on uh, Mike Golick Jr. Uh, he is a uh, DraftKings analyst. Um, been uh, in the business a while now. Since 2016, when I think he retired from football, Played uh, his college football at Notre Dame, obviously. Uh, was at a cup of coffee with a couple teams in the NFL. And now he is the host of uh, the Gojo podcast. And somebody that uh, I think is going to add that national narrative here on the show. There's a couple other things that I want to get to. Before we do, though, wow, Kyle Gauger, Gauger. However, I hope I'm saying it right. Dropping the Big money. He's he's walking in the club and he's he's getting bottle service in here. Look at this guy. 1999 Super Chat. Kyle, thank you, sir. Way too early look ahead with all the talk about the lack of playmakers on offense. Assuming the Bills draft number 32, do you see the Bills going offensive playmaker in the first round next year? Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks for the content. Thank you, Kyle, uh, for your contribution to uh, the Christmas fund on Shout. Uh, very nice. Um, draft strategy at this point is is so interesting. Kyle said, stop it. My wife is listening, too. <laughs> I'm doing the um, <laughs> He said he's getting the look. Kyle, great stuff. Great addition to the show. Ryan, I think you and I are on the same page here in that offensive line has to be something that the Bills really, really consider. And I think it's going to come down to value. Brandon Bean is not ever going to go into a draft and use a draft pick and not take in the first round and not go best player available. So it's going to come down to his board and how many players are there. Do you want to trade up? Is there, is there somebody that you think, listen, if we give up a, a, a couple picks, we can move up a spot and go get a impact wide receiver. I mean, you go back to last season. What if the bills trade up 10 spots and get Chris Olave? What does that mean 
for this offense in 2022 as they kind of go for, you know, try to win a Super Bowl in the Super Bowl window. I think that's a, a great point. And I think it'll come down to the playmakers. Of course, we have not do- like dove into all of the different prospects at this point, but I think number one most important overarching theme to this draft for me is the offensive line. And if that means you have to address it in the first round, multiple picks in the mid rounds, that's to me the approach that you would take. I think a playmaker is important too. Yeah. First Kyle, thanks for the super chat. Pretty much dropping a tops breakfast pizza on us here in 1999. <laughs> Loving it. Uh, no, I, I agree. I mean, when, when you're looking at, you know, I think in, in the best case scenario, obviously Bill sends a love that they're picking, uh, 32 actually it might be 31 uh, because the Dolphins lost their pick but either way uh, that's semantics uh, I, I think that right now you can't just sit here and say it's going to be an offensive weapon it's going to be an offensive lineman Brandon Bean's never going to reach if the top offensive tackles are off the board by the time the Bills get on the clock he's not going to reach for a second tier player if there's a first tier guard if there's a first tier wide receiver if there's a first tier anything it's just not his M.O. Uh, but yeah, you, you always want to add more weapons to this offense. You, you know that you have a quarterback, a wide receiver, and many other pieces that are getting big money and you have to bring in those players on rookie contracts. But in 2023, you're expecting Khalil Shakir to take another step in his development. You're expecting Gabe Davis to step up. Uh, you can always add those veterans at the next to nothing type price like they did with Jameson Crowder, uh, like they were able to get guys like Cole Beasley and John Brown on their practice squad. So Ideally, yes, a weapon could be in in play. Offensive lineman, though, should be a high priority. Uh, We just don't know right now, but I I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if a a weapon for this offense was in the first three rounds and obviously offensive lineman maybe being the two of the first uh, three picks for this team. All right, let's get into Josh Allen. Uh, Full participant in practice today. He was limited yesterday and everybody's radar kind of went up like, okay, wait a second. Is there a setback here with the elbow? and Basically, Sean McDermott came out and said it was uh, it was actually more body soreness. They just wanted to kind of you know dial it back for him on a day. Uh, he added some more to that, saying that sure there was some soreness, but it basically was a walkthrough yesterday. The Bills aren't going to be in pads all week uh, as, as they kind of go through another short. In this time of year, I mean, it's very very normal. He kind of just wanted to limit the amount of throws. I mean, it, it's the same story at this point in the season. This is something that he is still managing. Uh, how many weeks now, seven, eight weeks after that Jets game. And, you know, Ryan, it got me into thinking. It's why I I, I led the, um, you know, the, the headline on this episode with this question is how much are MVP voters going to consider, you know, in a very, very close race? I mean, you, you throw Burrow into the mix now. Patrick Mahomes has been kind of the, the leader all season long. Jalen Hurts has had this unbelievable dual threat kind of season for Philadelphia and the record. You have to take that into account. Although he could take a hit this week. If Garner Minshew comes in and lights it up with that Eagles offense, that might hurt hurts his campaign. But how much do you feel like Allen playing through this injury? And now over the last five weeks, really, you know, taking care of the football and starting to put up those numbers that we were seeing earlier this season, despite the injury helps him as we move three weeks away from uh, the end of the season. Yeah, I don't know if voters will consider the fact that he was playing through an elbow injury, that he was helping this team win numerous games despite being well less than 100%. I think at the end of the day, they look at the the stat lines. They look at some of these final games on the horizon. 
Now, if the, the Bills can win out, if they can win that big game against the Cincinnati Bengals, that's going to be in the back uh, of the voters' minds. And if Jalen Hurts just misses the one game or misses two games, that could help Josh Allen close the gap there. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, pretty similar stats to Josh Allen. Joe Burrow doing a lot of really good things out there in Cincinnati. You can make a case for any of the players that I just mentioned. Obviously, I, I still give Hurts uh, the lead right now because of the record that the Eagles have, the the leap and play that he has made. Uh, but obviously, MVP, most valuable player. If you, if you take Josh Allen off the Bills, they're nowhere close to eleven and three. And I think you can say the same about Burrow with the uh, Bengals. I think you can say say the same most likely about Hurts with the Eagles. But like you said, we'll get an idea here of what this offense looks like with Minshew, who realistically should be a big step down. And this is not a knock on Patrick Mahomes, and I know if there's any Chiefs fans in the chat, they might take offense to this. I still think the Chiefs could make the playoffs without Patrick Mahomes because I've seen Andy Reid win with less than top-tier quarterback play. Look at all those years that he had Alex Smith. I think Alex Smith was a very good quarterback, but there was nothing elite about his game, and yet every single year, he was able to get that team to the playoffs, do enough. The roster in Kansas City, there's some flaws on it. There's some. There's a reason why Mahomes um, is is so great at what he does, and he can kind of hide some of those issues. But that's the one team where I, or the one player where I look and I say, okay, he's a great player. He's elite of the elite. But I've also seen Andy Reid win with with a lot less at quarterback than Mahomes. Mm-hmm. For me, at this stage, I mean. It, I think Hertz's injury is going to really hurt him uh, as we kind of get down the stretch here. And I think that the Bengals, the Bills, and the Chiefs, they're probably all going to win out outside of whoever loses that Bills-Bengals game. So if the, the Bengals lose and Burrow doesn't play well, I think that probably knocks him out of consideration. And then it kind of comes down, for me, to Mahomes and Allen. And I've, I feel like Allen right now, like Mahomes' stats are a, a little bit better. Uh, and, and I will say he's got probably the easier schedule down the stretch. So it's going to be similar. And I think you get to the point in this uh, of your career, if you're Patrick Mahomes, where you have a Super Bowl championship, you have an MVP, a Super Bowl MVP. And it's like people just start to take that for granted. It's the same thing with Pe- Tom Brady all those years, Peyton Manning. You, you do something year after year and people just kind of expect it. And it, and it almost lessens the impact. And I, I see some comments in here about who cares about the MVP. A lot of people care about the MVP. I mean, it's it's it dominates sports talk shows, and it's something that you know Bills fans are going to be arguing about when we get to the end of this race about their guy and putting on for their guy. And I think Allen, to me, you know, you look around. I think the offensive line perspective. I think all three other quarterbacks have a better offensive line. Number one, I think you can make an argument that the best collection of weapons goes to Joe Burrow close second Jalen Hurts I think Travis Kelsey and Stefan Diggs kind of uh cancel each other out but I I think it's anybody's race at this point and I think Allen has had to deal with a lot of other factors where I feel like people are gonna you know voters are probably gonna give him a little bit of a nudge and then there's the new factor he's never won it before um I, I think that be could be something that kind of pushes him but it's gonna be a, a fun race to watch here over the next couple of weeks and it's one that I don't think Ryan is going to be determined until week 18. No, I agree completely. It's going to go down to the wire. It's going to be who finishes uh, the strongest. It's still anyone's race. Like I said, Hurts right now in the lead. Uh, But with the shoulder injury, with him not playing this week, it opens the door for sure. 
All right, let's get to the injury report here. We don't have a lot of time before we get to Mike Golick Jr. Uh, stick around for after Mike is done because I do want to get into this. I got a DM this week uh, from a, a, a fan on uh, a Bills fan on Twitter who uh, always interacts on the, on the medium, always like supports our work, and he had like a really long DM. I'm going to read it off and react to it a little bit. Uh, I think it's a good conversation to have. We're going to have it in a little while. Um, the Bills. Uh, so an update on Jordan Poyer. He is dealing with, uh, popped up today, uh, right before practice when Sean McDermott announced it, uh, a knee injury. And he suffered it during the game uh, last week. We did talk to him after practice, and he said he's hoping to practice tomorrow, get back out on the field, and then he is planning on playing on Saturday. So this is you know, a lot like the Matt Milano situation, right? Like it's something that he's managing. It's, it's not great, but it's not the worst news in the world, right? Yeah, and again, he's one of those players that – uh, has been around in this system for many, many years. He's comfortable with uh, the play calls, the scheme where he needs to be, kn- knows all of his responsibilities. So missing practice is not a huge deal. Uh, not being able to be a, at a uh, full participant or being limited or not practicing at all, it's not going to affect Poyer on game day because he's a pro's pro. He's among the elite of the elite at safety. So uh, I agree completely with your take. It's It's very similar to the Matt Milano where, you know, would you like him practicing throughout the week? Yeah, because it means he'd be close to 100%. But as long as he can play on Sunday and he's good enough to go on Sunday, or in this case, Saturday with the Christmas Eve, Eve game, uh, you, you feel pretty good about your chances with Poyer in, at, sa- at uh, safety for this team. Uh, Jordan, for, uh, Jordan Phillips limited uh, both days, but uh, he looks like he is get gearing up here. Uh, Sean McDermott mentioned it a little bit today that, you know, obviously you consider a, a player's health uh, and what what level they'll be at uh, coming off an injury like that. But, you know, the Bills released uh, Brandon Bryant. They brought him back to the practice squad, which kind of told me earlier this week that I think Phillips is trending in a pretty good direction. Calf injury popped up for Ed Oliver today. So that's definitely something that's going to be worth watching here as we kind of, you know, move through the week. But he was limited. So his status tomorrow, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as well. Yeah, something to keep an eye on there. Ryan Bates, too. Correct me if I'm wrong. Full participant full today. Participant. Yep. That's a good sign, especially with Mitch Morse being in the concussion protocol. Uh, it, you don't want to be down two of your starting offensive linemen. If you if you can uh, get healthy at that spot, it's so important for this Bills team. So good news with Ryan Bates. One thing I forgot uh, that I was trying I was going to mention after your uh, Chiefs take, um, and we'll get to it uh, afterwards. Remind me, uh, we have to get to your Chiefs Patrick Mahomes MVP take after uh, our guests right now, Christmas bonus is still going on and tis the season to save on groceries and all of your holiday gifts. Um, head over to tops friendly markets and shop at tops to save $10 at all your other favorite stores and restaurants with over 25 gift cards to choose from. There's something for everyone on your list and don't forget to treat yourself to some extra savings too. save on great gifts like toys and games from GameStop or Toys R Us at Macy's great family dining at Applebee's or Buffalo Wild Wings that new big screen TV you want from Best Buy and so much more just by shopping at Tops. be Santa's biggest little helper with Christmas bonus from Tops for a complete list of available gift card savings visit topsmarkets.com slash Christmas bonus Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. We are so excited about this, guys. Uh, let me get uh, this off the screen, and we are going to go to our guests right now. Mr. Mike Golick, Jr., what is up, my friend? Draft analyst, uh, DraftKings analyst and host of the Gojo podcast, taking some time for us on a Wednesday night. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, guys. Appreciate you having me. Well, we appreciate you, you coming on. And obviously, whenever we can kind of get, you know, we're so on the ground here in Buffalo covering this team that it's it's nice to kind of get a view from outside of Buffalo and from the national perspective. And this is a team now sitting here at 11 and three with everything kind of in front of them. But so much has happened over the course of every season. But this season, obviously, for the Bills, Von Miller at the beginning of the year, no longer there. Micah Hyde, uh, you know, his status unclear for the rest of the season working back from that neck injury. I want to start with your perception of the Bills back in August when everybody was talking about them as a Super Bowl favorite compared to where that perception lies now, three weeks from the end of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, listen, going back to August, it was the best roster, the Super Bowl favorite in the AFC and a team that looked like it was poised to continue off the success that we had seen, not only with your quarterback, Josh Allen, but with a defense that was, you know, last season, you know, the best back end in football. And this season brought over Von Miller to do a lot of what he did in Los Angeles. Right. Not only help as a guy down the stretch of the season that could be the tip of the spear on a D line that had a bunch of young, really talented guys that we've seen all step up and play really well in his stead but also to be that kind of mentor and I think you fast forward to now what we've seen is certainly a defense that has had some important parts you mentioned Micah and Vaughn now are names that are off the field and so we've seen some effect of that I was super surprised going back to this last weekend seeing the way that Miami was able to run all over the middle of a defense that even when Vaughn had been out we had seen that group step up you know Ed Oliver's been playing really great football this year Greg Rousseau coming back at the time he did was huge for that team but it, it was still so strange to see that production and then I think offensively the offense has become really interesting because a lot like, and I heard you, I'd be curious uh, to hear what the, the chiefs MVP take was on Mahomes because I think the two offenses have become really similar in that they are so reliant on their quarterbacks to be great. And for Joshua, I believe I saw showed up on the injury report again with some elbow soreness is concerning because we've seen a little bit of accuracy issues pop up in wake of that UCL injury in ways that were uncharacteristic for him because he's still asked to shoulder the load for this offense. The rushing attack doesn't exist without him outside of the final drive of that game in Miami when you got the snow down. The under center stuff wasn't really working the way you'd want to and without Josh leading the charge you didn't really have much to write home about and the same goes for the passing game they've become the I call I joke and call them the air raid bills and so I think both teams are and that's how they structured it how they've paid it these guys are capable of delivering on that but you've seen now when Josh gets a little bit banged up 
how that can worry things there. And now if the defense, if there's anything that people can take away, Miami's a unique rushing attack. They're a unique offense, one of the best in the NFL. Those were a couple of things that popped up that might have been a little bit concerning even coming off of a good win like that. Well, I'm glad that you asked the 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 KC MVP question because our, our good friend Ryan Talbot here is a card carrying member of the Chad Henney fan club apparently because <laughs> anything is possible he, he had to take a, a wild take a minute ago saying that um if patrick mahomes wasn't on the chiefs he still think they'd be able to make the playoffs i'm not well, so sure but go ahead not, well not, well not quite without mahomes i i was saying that when i look at mvp and the most valuable player i, I also look at big picture yes Allen, if he's not on the bills they're nowhere close to 11 and 3 burrow not on the Bengals, they're nowhere close to their record being a contender uh, what I was saying, Matt, is I've seen Andy Reid coach up teams with Alex Smith and be a double-digit win team year after year after year. I think he can scheme things up with other quarterbacks and find ways to win where I don't think the Bills could win uh, games with their backups. I don't think that uh, the Bengals could consistently win with with their backups. So it, it's not a knock on Mahomes because he is the elite of the elite. And, and like you said, they're so dependent on him. It's I've seen Andy Reid do this, though, and, and be able to win games with lesser talent. Alex Smith, that's not a knock on him. He was a very good NFL quarterback, but he's not in the same stratosphere, obviously, as a Patrick Mahomes. And, and the only thing I'd push back with on that is I think those were different Chiefs rosters offensively. And I think when and certain defensively too. like the Chiefs defense is all of a sudden upgraded to a bit more problem. And I think that's the biggest difference, right? With Lou Anarumo and what Cincinnati's been able to do when that D line is healthy. And now they're dealing with some things up there with Trey Hendrickson and the like. But when that group's healthy, they were a huge part of why they had that playoff run last year. Buffalo is going to have claimed when healthy to one of the best, if not the best defense in the NFL on certain days. And receiver wise for Cincinnati you've got two legitimate number ones there the Bills have Stephon Diggs the Chiefs have Travis Kelsey but you guys know it's different a tight end can only affect the game in so many ways on their own versus how a guy like Tyreek that's why to me so much of Pat's MVP case boils down to hey the reason we've talked about two in an MVP case is a lot of because of what Tyreek Hill has been able to do down there in that Miami offense it's not to take away from Tua but it's to say that offense needed certain things he needed to finally be put in a position like the Bills built up around Josh to give him opportunities to be successful. He doesn't have the gifts that Josh, that Patrick have, but you know what I'm saying on that. And so for Patrick, the reason Kansas City could take that gamble is because he was able to overcome that. So I think it's a bit of a different Chiefs offense in that way than before. Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are still incredibly capable of that. But I think by almost any metric, what Patrick's managed to do this year with a Chiefs roster that I think overall talent-wise is certainly in a different place than it's been in quite a while, maybe outside of you know the end of that year where they lost to the Tampa Bay Bucks in the Super Bowl, I think Pat's had to do a lot of lifting this year that I have a lot of respect for. Yeah, and that's fair. And Mike, right now, if you were casting a vote, who would be your MVP with three weeks to go? It'd be Mahomes. It really like, and part of it's unfair. Like, listen, Josh was the MVP favorite going into the season. He absolutely, especially down the stretch, deserves to be talked about again nationally a lot more in that conversation than he has been. I think that was my biggest realization is there's not a huge delta between what Patrick has to do in Kansas City and what Josh is having to do, both as the primary rushing component and the primary passing component for the Bills. But I think Pat's played some of the best football of his 
his career this year, having to do it in a different way, which is kind of also what Buffalo is learning, right? Where all of a sudden defenses start to play your high scoring offense a little bit differently. And you've got to make that transition that really, I think him, Josh Burrow and Pat have all had to make in the last year or so. I think Pat's just made that transition longer and is showing us even more tools in his bag. I thought that was a comedic opportunity to to bring up Chad Henney. Uh, I, I know what you really meant, Ryan. So I didn't want to throw you under the bus uh, too hard. No, I think I, I think that the argument for Mahomes right now is, is valid. I think, and also if you're projecting the next three weeks, I mean, some of the defenses that he's going to play, I, I don't see the stats not holding up down the stretch. And if they win three more games and they finish with 14 wins, I mean, uh, the, the argument it, it's really really kind of easy. And you know, Josh Allen. You know, there was a good comment in here at one point about like if Josh Allen could ever figure out the middle of seasons, like he's going to be a runaway MVP candidate because he's had now two seasons in a row where he's had this kind of this this year's was smaller. The, the period of time where, you know, the stats kind of dipped off, it was smaller than in 2021. Uh, but I think that that's something that's probably going to hold him back because when things are kind of all things being equal, you really got to find a way to kind of step out. And I think one of the things that Mahomes has going for him is that consistency factor. And for me, I'm more in line with you, Mike, in the fact that I think Mahomes and Allen are almost A and B with what I think they mean to each other's team. They're really, I don't think, I think you could kind of throw Burrow into this mix as well and some other players. Uh, I think you might even throw Tyreek Hill into that mix to your point. Uh, but yeah, I'd probably go Mahomes in this at this point too. I do want to shoot Josh the bail too, that part of that midseason was in. I mean, we were talking about potential for Tommy John surgery, nerve right. damage in his throwing elbow. Like, this is what happens when you go back out and tough it out. Like, anyone ask Baker Mayfield how he feels about what went on toughing it out in that Cleveland season when he was playing with the fractured shoulder. Said it out loud to everyone, and then we all just pretended like it didn't exist because this is the NFL, and when you're out there and you're good enough to be out there, we're going to judge you based off the results because that's just how this league works. So many guys are playing like that down the stretch of the season. But when it's a quarterback that's asked to shoulder that kind of load and it's your throwing elbow for a guy that does a lot of the same things we talk about with Pat, where your feet aren't always set in the right way. And it's a lot of that upper body being able to just launch it to places other people can't. Having that sort of uh, issue, I I think, deserves recognition in the way that we talk about this because I think it's a big factor on what we've seen in that middle slump that you talked about. Um, speaking of recognition, uh, we talked about at the top of the show, the, the pro bowl rosters are out and now listen, pro bowl, you know, who really cares at the end of the day, obviously the, you know, some of the players do, I mean, Jordan Poyer has been talking about it for years, the disrespect that he's felt not being, uh, named to the pro bowl. And one name that I think probably surprises some bills fans is Matt Milano, who I think for most of the season has been the bills best defensive player in, in a lot of games, even when Von Miller was on the field with him. I mean, he's been that dominant at times uh Roquan Smith uh CJ Mosley I don't think you can really poke too many holes in either of those guys but I want to ask you about Matt Milano your perception of him a guy that came in this league as a fifth round pick was a former safety in college that has transitioned and become a you know one of the best off-ball coverage linebackers in the league and kind of melds a game together where he really is great in the box great against the run great in coverage what do you think of Matt Milano 
I think just what you mentioned, seeing the range that he has, because when you look at then like Tremaine Edmonds next to him, it's kind of interesting. You bring up the linebacker situation in uh, in Baltimore, because I think when they made that trade, it allowed Patrick Queen to do what he does best, which is go downhill and be a missile in that defense. And I think for Matt Milano, it allows Tremaine Edmonds to play downhill the way that he does. He's at his best when he's going missile towards the football like that. And for Milano to be able to cover that type of ground, people always talk about the spine of a defense. And that was something that I always loved about the appeal of Buffalo's was when you go and you start with Ed in the middle, you go through Matt and you get back to Poyer and Micah Hyde, you've got as dialed in and coherent a group like you watch them on defense and it's like watching a bunch of guys on a string like there was some sort of puppeteer overhead because they all communicate with each other so well and that communication tends to go through that spine and so yeah I, I think certainly the range and coverage you talked about sure tackling ability from both of those guys really in the linebacker spot but then just again I think that communication all through every level of the unit that goes through those guys has made this defense able to hold up like defense of success year over year in the NFL is supposed to be a lot more variable. Statistically, it's a really hard side of the ball to repeat success on. So the fact that they were able to come back this season and be as productive that they had been after last year is a huge testament to guys like Matt and what he's done. Yeah, Mike, flipping to the other side of the ball, you know, former offensive lineman, I want to get your take on this. Mitch Morse, uh, concussion protocol, history of concussions. With him, with, with not knowing how long he's going to be out, from your perspective, from your time on the field, how difficult is it when you're missing that main piece to your offensive line uh, for what could be a significant stretch here in the regular season and potentially in the playoffs? Yeah, it, it's huge, and especially you know in, in a lot of offenses. And I was fortunate enough to to get to know uh, former Bill Center Eric Wood for a while, and I would always pick his brain about this stuff. Wood was one of the best and smartest centers in the NFL, and when you get a veteran guy like that who can be a part of that, you know, a lot of times with veteran quarterbacks and centers, it ends up being more of a dialogue in the way that you go and diagnose things up front, right? Where you'll let the center set a lot of the protection, set a lot of the calls, kind of get everyone going where they are. And then Josh, if he sees something because his vantage point's a little different, can come in and kind of override. But we've heard for years, right, going back to when Peyton Manning and Jeff Saturday used to do those pieces about how they would go and watch film together and they would have this unique relationship of trying to see it through the same set of eyes. That's really the O-line credo is five guys seeing everything through one set of eyes. And it requires so much rep and so much time under task because you want that to be as seamless as possible, especially going down the stretch of the season. I remember when I was in camp with the Saints, Zach Streif and Jari Evans had been on the right side of that offensive line for something like nine years straight. And we've got calls for everything up there. But at that point, they had played so much football together that they didn't say words like they didn't use the calls. They would see it. They would just basically say the other's name and they would know. And when you get towards the end of a season like this and you finally start to get some of the continuity, it eases up. It allows you to change things up and keep defenses from being able to have a beat on what you're doing. And so it goes back to when one guy goes out and a backup comes in. The number one thing an offensive line is always saying is, all right, let's over-communicate. Like Zach Mart with the Cowboys talked about Tyron Smith jumping over to right tackle last week. He's played with Tyron forever, but he's not played next to him. And so he said, I don't care if the defense hears what we're saying and knows what we're doing. I need to make sure he knows. And that's just one extra thing you got to think about pre-snap that kind of slows down the process that at this point in the season, you like in an ideal world. And for most playoff teams, I used to go back and look 
there used to be this stat tool that would allow you to look at how many snaps and offensive line combinations played together through a season. And when you look at a lot of teams that make it to the Super Bowl, by and large, it's the teams that have been lucky enough to stay healthy all year long and have mm-hmm. logged a lot of snaps with those guys because I think there's so many little parts of offensive line play that just require that amount of work together. No, I, and I, I almost would think that it's season to season too, not just mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you look at what's going on in Philadelphia right now. I mean, those guys have played together for a while and the Bills have kind of been in flux on the interior of their offensive line the last couple of seasons. They've had Deion Dawkins out at the left, left tackle spot. Mitch Morris has been entrenched at center. And then it's kind of been like, all right, we're going to try different ideas at different spots. Spencer Brown was this really exciting third round draft pick, 6'8, 320, like a moldable piece of clay. But at times it's it's been tough sledding for him, especially this season. And then on the interior, you know, they went out and they they had to match an offer on Ryan Bates. And he's been really valuable in terms of his versatility, but he's even had some moments this season where he struggled a little bit. And I think to your point, it's like one of the biggest questions I have for this Bills team is like, how does this offensive line hold up and can Josh Superman it enough at times against some of these elite defenses, these defensive lines. I mean, when, they, when their season ended the last two years, I mean, Chris Jones is a big reason why in these, in these games. And a lot of that's come on the interior. Yeah. And, and you know, I saw uh, Dan Orlowski and Andrew Whitworth were tweeting back and forth about this. Cause Dan pulled up a couple of the uh, Bengals pressures from their game against Tampa Bay. And Whit commented that a lot of what you're seeing in the NFL right now is defenses working over time. And Miami's a perfect example of this, the way Miami's defense wants to operate, get guys up near the line of scrimmage and try and make you declare what you're going to do in protection and get you isolated. Like the other thing you see all the time in the NFL is where D lines, do that thing they'll call it a load front where they put three d linemen on one side of the center and then they get maybe a linebacker walked up and the other end over the opposite tackle and they're just trying to get a one-on-one matchup they want their best guy one-on-one with somebody usually on the edge but at the same time you can use all that twisting and motioning and that was what you know wit who just finished up playing in this league is d lines are not just focused on hey, let's just turn them loose one-on-one NASCAR package like the New York Giants from the early 2000s. It's no, let's scheme it up. Let's make them declare and drop guys out and try and get creases in there using games, get offensive lines on different levels. And to your point about Mitch, when you've got someone different in the middle and you've got different communication, passing off twists, stunts, and games is one of the hardest things to do when you don't have reps at it together. And in an offense that drops back as often as the Bills does, Josh does have to do a lot of the extracurricular stuff to kind of get you out of a jam on that, but it's really starting to become more and more prevalent league wide. You know, Mike, as we get to the the end of the regular season here, uh, we all know the NFL is a matchup league. Who do you think is the biggest threat to the Bills in the AFC? Because you, you look at the regular season, the regular season's one thing. The Bills have beaten the Chiefs. The Bengals have beaten the Chiefs. Uh, and obviously, though, the Chiefs, you, you can't take lightly because they have uh, been dominant in the, in the playoffs these past few seasons. So who's the biggest threat to Buffalo? And is there a team in the NFC that if, you, you know, if you're looking at the Bills, you say, I wouldn't want the Bills to see this team? So I think in the AFC right now, if they get healthy, the biggest threat to anyone is the Bengals, just because you've got you talk about with them. They've had continuity on that offensive line that they spent all that money on this offseason. And you saw in back to back games before this one against Tampa Bay, they gave up like one sack against the Titans and then one sack the next game. And 
if Joe Burrow's got both his wide receivers healthy. Like Again, there's a lot of ifs because they've started to get nicked up in some important places. But if that team's healthy defensively, they've got one of the more underrated D-lines in the NFL and the offensive lines come together around all those weapons. In the NFC right now, I mean, it, the answer for I think pretty much everyone over there too is what the 49ers are doing. Just because defensively, they're so terrifying. And if you've got any protection flaws up front, they are going to make you pay dearly for it. So even with, and we've seen, they've managed to bridge the gap with, you know, now their second backup quarterbacks as Jimmy G technically started the year on the bench with Brock Purdy. And, you know, that's a testament to scouting for them. Like took a player that ran an offense that required a lot of shifting motion. And he's used to having to play with all the toys like they have. They've got a ton of weapons, but that defense right now has claimed to probably the best in the NFL. And so they're going to be a really tough out for anybody down the stretch, you know, AFC or NFC. Mike Golick Jr., uh, DraftKings analyst and host of the Gojo podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Golick Jr. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for some time tonight. Some really great insight. Uh, hope to have you on again at some point uh, next year. Merry Christmas. Happy yes. New Year. Um, let everybody know where they, if you got anything coming up, where they can find you, uh, anything you want to shout out. No, definitely appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Uh, at Gojo Show on Twitter is the show account. We're Monday through Friday, five days a week, wherever you get your podcast. So check those out. The DraftKings YouTube channel, too. Never hurts to go and try and look at us, even though, you know, I'm a career radio guy. So you can make the easy joke on that. But uh, we appreciate the, uh, the likes and subscribes and thumbs up anyway. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you. Everybody go check out his show. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up next year, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank All right, you. take care, Mike. Michael Jr., uh, DraftKings analyst and uh, podcast extraordinaire. So, Ryan, we're one of the things that I put in this headline is just the the fan expectation and how that's kind of impacted the um, experience, the week to week experience, especially late in the season when the stress levels kind of come up a little bit. And I'm just going to give you guys a little teaser. I'm going to take that off. I'm going to re-headline this episode, talk more about that Stefan Diggs stuff that we did. And we're going to do a separate podcast on that in maybe the next couple of days. One of the things, uh, kind of mini announcement, a couple of announcements. If, if you missed it last episode, there's another announcement here as well. So <clears throat> we're going to r- ratchet up uh, the amount of shows that we do per week leading through the playoffs. Now you're going to get a shout probably four to five times a week. You're going to get the staple show. You're going to get kind of smaller snippet shows over the course of the week. Obviously the post game show. So that, that this, this other question, I think is enough to drive a 20 minute podcast. So we're going to do this on another show. So stay tuned for that. It was a really thoughtful DM that I got from a fan. We're going to go through it, kind of talk about some fan theory, if you will, because I think that's a fun conversation to have. Um, I don't know if it'll be live. Probably will be. I'll, I'll probably just do it live. We'll just do that uh, at some point here over the next couple of days. So you got that. Maybe we'll do that Friday, actually. Then January 7th, Ryan, let them know about what's coming up. Ooh, Wingnuts. Live shout show at Wingnuts. Uh, make sure, you know, clear off your schedule. If you're in Western New York, uh, make the trip over. Join us. We we love to interact with uh, fans of the show. If you're not from Western New York, you know, hey, maybe plan a trip to come here. Uh, the next day, the Bills will have their regular season finale against the Patriots. So maybe a, maybe a fun weekend in Western New York can be on your horizon. 
Uh, I can't wait for that. It is going to be an amazing event with great food, great beers. I mean, the beer list at uh, Froth, which is now the home, the official uh, in in dining experience home of Wingnuts uh, Chicken Wings is uh, it's second to none. I mean, I, I went in there one night, blew me away. Uh, I think everybody's going to love it. It's a great open space where you can kind of hang at the bar. We're going to have a section off to the side. Where we're going to do our show. It is going to be super exciting. Uh, Froth Brewery. It's on military, I believe. Uh, the new official home of Wing Nuts. And the official home of the breakfast pizza, the Tops legendary breakfast pizza, is the Carryout Cafe at your uh, closest neighborhood, Tops. Head over there right now. Get yourself set up. And you better do it right now because the weather this weekend is not looking great, Ryan Tell. In Buffalo, in Chicago, you know, uh, this, this winter event, this winter storm is coming through. And you can get yourself set up by visiting the Tops Carryout Cafe. They have hot-to-go fresh large cheese and pepperoni pizzas, $14. Jumbo chicken wings, 10 count, $14. The legendary breakfast pizza. Get yourself a large for $20. Get a couple. Tweet me a picture. Um, pizza and taco log, six count, $7.69. Baby back rib sections, $5.99 a pound. Sub sandwiches, wraps, apps, sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash redzone for the complete menu of ready-to-enjoy fan favorites. Final word, Ryan. Yeah, final word. I see Kyle here in the comments saying we're huge down in Raleigh, North Carolina. I don't know, man. Maybe a summer road trip. Maybe we hit up some some Bills backers. I'm liking this idea, Kyle. Ooh. I'm gonna give you some credit there if that. Dude, uh, you just had you just had fruition. an idea. You just I had an idea. Did. I think Ryan Talbot, Matt Perino, s- spring road trip. To Bills backers bars up the East Coast. Maybe maybe we'll get crazy. Maybe we'll go West Coast. Maybe, maybe. we'll we'll really, you know, I, I know you'll want to go to Chicago, get some deep dish or Detroit and get whatever that that Detroit style <laughs> pizza is that, that you love so much. Um, but yeah, we gotta we got we gotta make our way around a little bit because uh we appreciate the sport from all over the country, all over the globe. Um we we, we had some representation in in Mexico, Sweden, Brazil, um, the UK, uh everywhere. It's awesome. Bill's mafia lives. Uh, everywhere. All right, we're going to be back. We're going to have an episode tomorrow, uh, the preview show. Then we're going to have an episode on Friday, which is going to be uh, this one I talked about. Then we'll be post game on Saturday. And then we're going to be coming in with, uh, at you with a bunch of stuff um, over the next couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. See you guys tomorrow. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.